Now, today, I invite you to open your Bible. Do you have your Bible and your copy of God's Word? Let's go into God's Word together, and we're going to look into the Bible's uh, 13th chapter of Acts. Can you believe we're still in the 13th chapter of Acts? So if you have your Bible today, I encourage you to follow along. Acts chapter number 13 is where we're at, and we'll uh, finish this great chapter, Lord willing, today. And uh, I encourage you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. We're continuing this series of messages on the ministry of the resurrected Christ. And today we want to talk about a missionary's response. How do we respond to how people respond to us and to the message and to the ministry that God has given us? And then what is our strategy what, uh, in the midst of that response? What was the strategy of the early church and what, how did they respond? And then what lessons can we learn as we look at, at, uh, at how they responded. So if you have your copy of God's Word, let's look at it together. Chapter number 13, chapter number 13 and we're going to begin with verse number 44. Chapter 13, beginning with verse number 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. And since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that you'd convict us and encourage us and strengthen us to faithfully and boldly do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Following Jesus is not always a smooth highway, is it? Has anybody ever noticed there's a few difficulties in the highway of faith and life? You ever run into some potholes in your life? Not just your car, I'm talking about life. You're on the pathway, you're on the journey, and, and all of a sudden there's a detour that you didn't expect. There's difficulties, trials. One author says, 
when God interrupts my life with something that I didn't plan or expect to happen in my life. And so we run into those things where you're going along the path of life, the road of life, and there are huge boulders that you didn't see or hairpin turn that you didn't know was going to be there or debris or difficulty. And following Jesus often will bring conflict and difficulty in your life, misunderstanding and sometimes grief, as well as great joy and great satisfaction in your life. Now, probably in Romania, it's always smooth sailing with no difficulty in Romania. No, it's not true, because it's the same way everywhere. We all have those troubles and difficulties. And here's two men, Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas is Mr. Encouragement. He is faithful. He was a good man, the Bible says, and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. He loved God and trusted him. Saul radically converted on the road to Damascus, changed from a killer and one who was threatening and persecuting the church, and now he becomes a faithful man of God, a rabbi teaching about the Lord Jesus and helping to win souls to Christ. They felt the call of God on their life in the church at Antioch and Syria recognized that call, and they laid their hands on them and sent them out, and they were sent by the Holy Spirit of God. And they go, along with John Mark and others, to first Cyprus, which is Barnabas' home territory and region. And they preach the gospel in major cities and port cities in Cyprus, sharing the good news. And then they feel led to go over to Turkey, Asia Minor. And so they sail over to Pamphylia and then go inward a few miles to Perga, near the port city, And there John Mark gets discouraged. Something happens, and he leaves them. Paul says he deserted them. And he leaves and goes. It causes great difficulty and stress to the team that one of their missionary team members leaves and goes. They travel a hard way then from Perga all the way up to another town named Antioch. Don't get it confused but this is called Antioch of Pisidia. It's about 100 miles to the north and west further uh, into Turkey or Asia Minor. And as they go over the mountains in the hard ways, it would take them several days' journey by foot to get to this place. They come on a Sabbath day, and there there's a a good number of Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, and they come on a Sabbath day to hear the law read and the prayers and at the, toward the end of the service, the uh, ruler of the synagogue says to Saul, we talked about this last week, do you brothers have a word for us, these visitors that, was with, that were with them? And Saul stood up and began to proclaim the Lord Jesus to them. He talked about the history of God's blessing throughout for the nation of Israel and how that God sent his promised one in the lineage of David and how the the promised one was a savior named Jesus, and how that the Jewish leaders and elders turned against him, and that they could find no reason to crucify him, but they delivered him to Pilate, and Pilate, the Roman governor, executed the Lord Jesus. And they hung him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead. And there are many witnesses to this. 
And he's the one we proclaim to you. Because there's forgiveness in his name. That is the great message they preached. And the people were awestruck. And the Spirit of God was moving among them. And as they concluded the message on that day, there was a warning that Paul said. Don't let it be true of you that you reject and do not accept this good message. Well, many of the God-fearing believers and Jewish believers, after the service, had dialogue with Paul and Barnabas, and many of them came to saving faith in Christ. And the whole synagogue said, we want to hear more from you next week. Oh, the difference a week can make in the life of ministry. So that's where we pick up the story in verse number 44. The next Sabbath, Dr. Luke says, the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Now, that might be a little bit of hyperbole, all right? But a large number of people showed up, and there was controversy. The Jews saw the crowds, and they became jealous. Can you believe that somebody might become jealous and envious? Because all these people showed up to hear Saul and Barnabas, and they began contradicting what they were saying and then reviling them, criticizing them, and threatening them. So what was their response? Today, I want us to look at the responses. First of all, first of all, notice what they refused to do. If you're taking notes today, that's the first note. Notice what they refused to do. Number one, this is what they refused to do. They refused to be discouraged by negative voices. Can somebody say amen? When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting their message. What they were saying was, "Uh uh-uh, that's not right. Where did you get that? And they began contradicting. Now, how would you like that? You're, You're bringing your lesson and somebody starts heckling you, contradicting you opposing what you had to say. They were filled with jealousy because of the crowds. Now listen, often the motive of negative people and negative voices is not what they say it is. It's something deeper. And it was jealousy on their part that caused the raising of these negative voices. Let me say something about negativity and criticism. They are powerful voices. When you're negative, it has a negative drain on, every, on yourself and other people around you. Your words matter. It's getting quiet in here. Tell your neighbor, your words matter. They do. It might be dangerous to say that this morning. Now, one negative voice takes four or five voices in the positive, to turn that around. Now, Christy says, Tim, that's negative. And particularly when I'm watching a baseball game with her, and I can become negative. When the blues scare me to death while I'm watching them play in the playoffs, I can get negative just for a moment. Rob? 
I saw you raise your hand. You agree with that. You know, and Christy says this, Tim, you're being negative. This is our team. You've got to say positive things. I said, they can't hear me. She said, I can hear you. And so we have this dialogue. And she said, speak positively about what you believe the good things that could happen. You know, in a similar way, on a spiritual level, we need to speak positively about what a great God is doing and can do. And if you always look, and there's some people that just look at life this way, and I know I can be like this, that I look at that glass as half empty, not half full. But I'm telling you, if you can see the one behind that glass, who's the king of everything, he can meet the deepest needs in lives. Second thing, they said they refuse to be intimidated by threatening voices. The word that is used here in the English Standard Version is the word reviling them. Actually, the word is the word that we get the word blasphemy from. They were blaspheming them. They were slandering them. They were threatening them. They were speaking with such emotion and blasphemy, nearly cursing, that it was slandering. And folks, I'm telling you, when you speak with slander and blasphemy and negativity, the issues deep in your heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You say, well, I really didn't mean what I said. Yes, you did mean what you said. And what you said matters. You need to ask God to put a bridle over your mouth and tame your tongue by the Spirit of God. And they were unleashing this hatred toward them. It's an unusual word. It's usually used in blaspheming to God. And here Luke uses it, they blaspheme these disciples. In chapter, Luke chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus reminds us that the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Their blasphemy not only affected Saul and Barnabas, but it was really blasphemy against God because they were in full disagreement with God. In Luke's gospel, chapter number 12, understand this. The gospel, listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ does unite people. But listen close. But the gospel rightly preached will also divide people. Luke chapter 12, verse number 51 says, Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? Jesus said. I tell you no, but rather division. From now on, five members in one household will be divided. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided. Father against the son, son against the father, mother against the daughter, daughter against the mother, mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. Why? Because the gospel is about Jesus. Let me tell you what, when you start talking about Jesus and you talk about the gospel, people fall out on one side or the other. Jesus can unite, though. I'm telling you, when you come to know Jesus Christ and a brother or sister comes to know Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God comes to dwell in your life, it brings you together as a family of God, church of God. The gospel has a winnowing effect. It has a separating effect. 
Now, why do we get so discouraged and why do we get so intimidated? I tell you, I think we do get intimidated and discouraged. I've thought about this a lot because I've had to evaluate my own life about this. Sometimes I'm just confessed, listen close, I value people more than the gospel. If I value what people think of me more than the gospel, then I won't be bold in sharing the gospel. But when I value the gospel, then leave the results to God. And if I really care about people, I'm going to tell them the greatest news in all the world. And don't worry if they get mad at you. It's the saving word. Amen? It's the saving word. And then sometimes I value peace at all costs. When you go to the mission field, your job is not there to just want everybody to like you. When you go to your workplace, when you are on mission, it's the goal is not that everybody likes you, not your popularity. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. We value these temporary relationships more importantly than the eternal relationships. Folks, this ministry is not about your popularity. It's not about you being liked, and it's not about you being accepted. It's about Jesus and the truth and salvation. And if there's ever a time in this world that the church of Jesus Christ needs to stand up and love people but tell the truth, it's now. Because the enemy is sowing a lie in the heart of this world. Bold followers face conflicts and persecution. Now listen, he's with you. Did you know the Lord's with you? Tell your neighbor, he's with you. He's with you. Tell him this, he's for you. (laughs) Tell him this, he holds you. He sent you. He empowers you. And he prays for you. Amen. Number two. What did they determine to do? What did they determine that they were going to do? Notice in the scripture in verse number 46, but Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said it's necessary for the word of God to be spoken to you first, uh, but since you've repudiated it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we're going to the Gentiles. The first thing I I want you to notice They determined they were going to speak the word of God with boldness. They were going to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, you remember the story in Acts chapter number 4 where John and Peter are arrested. And uh, they are preaching Jesus in the temple courts and proclaiming the resurrection of the dead. And this is right after a a man is healed and uh, a lame man is healed. And and the whole temple complex is astir about this great miracle. And Sadducees and priests were arrested and hauled them before the court, the Sanhedrin. The very council that condemned Jesus, Peter now, is standing before that council along with John. Peter and John had been near that council when Jesus was indicted and when Jesus was examined and Jesus was tried. And it was in that courtyard of that tribunal that Peter denied Jesus three times But now he's hauled to the same courtyard, to the same tribunal, in front of the same high priest and council. And he's to give an account for why they're preaching in the name of Jesus. And this time, 
Simon Peter is not weak, but he's bold in his faith. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, rulers and elders, we're on trial today for healing this sick man. But let it, let, you let it be known to you by the name of Jesus the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man, he stands here whole and healthy today. Wow. And he's the stone rejected by you that became the chief cornerstone. And there's salvation in no other name given among men but Jesus Christ. And they didn't know what to do with that. They said, well, we're commanded you not to speak or talk and teach or preach in his name ever again. And Peter and John looked at him and said, well, it's right or not in the sight of God to heed you rather than God, you be the judge, but we cannot help but speak in the name of Jesus. Amen. Then later in verse, chapter 4, verse 28, they're praying, and they said, Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant your bondservants that we may speak your word with all boldness. <laughs> That's exactly what Saul and Barnabas did. They were speaking with boldness. Folks, what gives you boldness? The Spirit of God gives you boldness. I'll tell you what else gives you boldness is when your security is found in the one who called you. Your boldness is when you're secure in the calling of God upon you. You're bold when you're certain of the message that you're speaking about. And you're bold when you have confidence in an all-sovereign, holy God that takes care of you. Amen? Second thing that we need to do is, is uh, go to those who are open to receive the message. Now, he says, I've, you have rejected the gospel. You've repudiated the gospel. You aren't listening, he said to the Jews. And he says, you repudiate it and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. But we're going to the Gentiles. I love what happens next. Look at verse 48. And the Gentiles heard this and began rejoicing and glorifying God. Happy day! <laughs> the gospel's for us, too. And they went to those who would listen. It was rejected by Jews, so they're going to the Gentiles. Paul had done what God told him to do. He, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. God is working. Folks, how many of y'all believe God's working in people's hearts and lives today? We need to see where God is at work and join him in that work, as Henry Blackaby reminded us. Go to the people that are open to the gospel. Go to the people who will receive the gospel. Amen. And then don't be held captive by unbelief. He said, we're going to the Gentiles. They've rejected the message, so we're going to them. Now, something very interesting happens when they actually are forcing them to leave the city. Verse number 51, they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. What does that mean? By taking their sandals and shaking off the dust, what are they saying? to those people. Are they saying God doesn't love you and we reject you? No. What are they saying? 
This is probably something most Americans don't do. When you go into somebody's house, you should wipe the dust off of your feet. Amen? Or take your shoes off. Because you don't want to carry that dust in. But this dust is different than that. They're knocking the dust off their feet because what are they saying? They're saying the dust that we got on our shoes and our feet traveling all the way to you over a hundred miles from Perga to Antioch. And now we've standing before you, we have discharged our responsibility under God. You've judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, not us. You've rejected, not us. But we will not be held captive to you because we are going to go where God is calling us to go, to other people who will receive this gospel. So the dust we gathered coming to you, we shake off. And now we will put our shoes on and gather new dust to go see new people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus. My friends, don't be held captive. Why do we stand and talk and minister and preach to a people who are hard-hearted and stiff-necked? Sometimes we must say, you give them up to God, but we're going to go to people who will listen to us and share the good news of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thirdly, what they trusted God to do. In this, notice how they respond. They trust God. And it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as have been appointed to eternal life believed. Can I share something with you? Listen close. God alone opens hearts to the gospel. You don't. It's not your flowery speech. It's not your apologetics. It's not your wisdom. It's not your words. It's God that has to open a heart. In chapter 16, verse number 14, they come to Philippi, and they find a group of women out by the river on the edge of town, and they're having a prayer meeting, and they preach the gospel. And there's a woman there, a dealer in fine clothing, purple clothing. What's her name? Lydia. Where's she from? Thyatira. And they begin to speak the gospel. And as they begin to speak the gospel to this group of women, Dr. Luke says, And the Lord opened her heart that she could believe. God has the key to heart. And, and uh, notice those that were appointed. Now, this is a very strong word. Verse 48, as many as been appointed. That word appointed literally carries with us the idea of ordained. Those that are ordained to eternal life. God alone saves. God alone opens the heart. Second thing, God alone saves people. You don't save yourself. There's none that seek after God. God's the one that does the saving. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. So God is doing his electing, saving work, but there is a response for those who hear the gospel. They believed. He had ordained to eternal life as many as what believed. 
They put their faith and trust and confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Folks, this is so liberating to us because when we go and share the gospel and when we minister and serve, if we're being true and if we're loving Jesus and if we're doing what the Spirit of God tells us to do and we're being true with the gospel message, then the results belong to God and not to us. And let's trust Him. The gospel's so powerful. It's the most powerful thing I know. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said, because it's the power of God to salvation. The word is dunamis. It's the word that we get the word dynamite from. Dynamo from. Power. Transformative power. And you share this little simple message. But it's got power in it. And what is the message? That we were all created by God and we have all sinned against God and we're all accountable to God. And, the, and, and God, we couldn't save ourselves and God sent His Son, Jesus. And Jesus died for our sins. And Jesus rose again from the grave. And Jesus can forgive you of your sins. And Jesus is alive today. Repent and put your faith in him. That message, while seeming so simple, is powerful. And when you speak it and teach it, lives are changed. Because the Spirit of God, God has ordained that through the preaching of the gospel, lives are awakened and men and women and boys and girls are saved because they hear the good news of Jesus. Let's tell it, share it, proclaim it, and he brings life. Amen? God changes a community. It says the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole community. How many of y'all would like to see Troy, Illinois, Collinsville, Illinois, Maryville, Illinois, Edwardsville, Illinois, Highland, Illinois, St. Jacob, Illinois, Marine, Illinois? I, I can't get all the towns. How many of you would like to see your community changed? How many of you would like to see this nation changed? It will only happen. It will not happen by politics. It will happen through the powerful word of God. Amen. Well, how did they determine to live? Verse 50 and 52. Some devout women and leading men of the city started persecuting Paul and Barnabas. They drove them out of town. They shook off their feet. But the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the things they determined to do, even though it didn't turn out exactly like they liked in Pisidia, Antioch, they knew God was in charge, and they lived above their circumstances. They were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Can I say something to you? Listen. Every person that is filled with the Spirit of God will be filled with joy. And if there's no joy in your heart, it is evidence that you are not filled with His Spirit.
And you say, well, pastor, if you knew what I was going through, you would know if you knew my circumstances, if you knew my difficulties. It is not contingent on your circumstance. The joy of the Lord is the fruit of the spirit. And even in hardship, there can be joy. And there can be a hallelujah. And there can be a praise to God. Because there's strength in the joy of the Lord. There's his presence in us. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh, I got a lot more to say about that, but I don't have time. We need, the disciples were continuously, day after day, filled and overflowing with God's Spirit and joy manifest in the life. Praising God, controlled by God, worshiping God, and loving God. Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you filled with the joy of the Lord? You can't be filled with the Spirit if in your heart's jealousy, envy, unforgiveness, pride, love of money, other idols of the heart. To be filled with the joy of the Lord means you're living for Jesus. If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his own cross, and follow me. And when you do, he will fill you with his spirit, and it will evidence itself in joy in your heart, in your mouth, in your words, and in your singing to God. Amen. Father in heaven, have your way in our lives. May we learn great lessons and truths from this faithfulness of Barnabas and Saul. And so may we be like them. In Jesus' name, amen.